It's symbols all the way down. I don't mean symbols like the uh, musical instrument, the clanging of symbols. I mean as in symbolism, whether words, images. <laughs> I, I, you know, sometimes I, I've thought for a long time that people who talk about symbolism everywhere and are breaking down, you know, the symbolism in this movie or in this, you know, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, the symbolism that represents this and that. And it's easy to, to be like, all right, this is just ridiculous. Like you're just, you're just adding layers of meaning to things that aren't really there. You're seeing symbols in everything. And oh, look at this scene where, you know, Wolverine's arms are spread. It's the symbol of the cross. This is clearly Christ imagery, blah, blah, blah. I've always kind of poked fun at that to a degree, right? I know there's a little, you know, there certainly is symbolism in film and culture, but it you know, seems over the top, whatever, easy to easy to make up and certainly certainly seems to give too much credit sometimes to, you know, whoever's making the latest Geico commercial or whatever, that, that every single thing in the backdrop is some important symbol. But man, <laughs> 2020 has... There, there's some symbolism for you. I say the word 2020 and you automatically have some kind of feeling like the fact that I even used the 2020 instead of recently or recent events. It's like 2020 has this symbolic meaning. Anyway, the symbolic epoch of 2020 uh, has got me to the point where I'm like, not only is symbolism absolutely everywhere, but like it's all symbolism. <laughs> it's symbols all the way down. It's like, that's all there is. All the battles, all the things going on in current events world anyway. And I don't follow that stuff very closely, but the stuff that just bleeds its way into my Twitter feed and whatever. I, I was just thinking about it this morning. Like almost nothing is a battle over substance it's pretty much all battles over symbols. Whether it's COVID policy responses, 100% symbolic. It's all symbolic battle. It has absolutely not a single policy response to this COVID virus thing has had one iota to do with health, not in the least. And of course, people mention this all the time. And I think it's a, you know, it's, it's a, it's a, point that is worth mentioning. I don't think it's a, maybe as much of a knockdown, drag out, you know, condemnation as people think. But if public officials, the people making these pronouncements and policies regarding COVID, if they were really, really concerned about health, they would do literally everything different, right? It'd be like, even if they wanted to use their horrible, tyrannical, bullshit approaches to solving problems of coercion and regulation and taxation and bread and circuses and whatever else, if it was really like, man, we're really concerned about health, it would be completely different. It would be like, okay, we're instituting a <laughs> healthy eating regime and exercise regime and, you know, uh, <laughs> yoga and sunlight and what, right? It's all about symbols. All of the actions chosen, they're very, very powerful symbols and they're meant to do very specific things. The words, the double think and the newspeak, that double think that requires, you know, is required to, to even comprehend an oxymoron like social distancing. <laughs> that is a, whether this is subconscious or conscious, right? Whether this is just something that emerges without deliberate planning from 
some sort of zeitgeist or collective unconscious or some, you know, Jungian thing, or whether it's consciously crafted symbolism, it has the same effect, right? The masks. I mean, what could be more of a symbol than a muzzle, than a mask uh, with deliberate, again, maybe I shouldn't say deliberate, um, mind-bending double-think involved of like, hey, okay, we know that we can't take sports away from people entirely for forever. So, okay, you get to play sports, but everybody has to, you know, test every day and blah, blah, blah. And the athletes can play on the court without masks on because, you know, masks are actually bad for your health. <laughs> it's shocker. It's a little harder to breathe when your br- breath hole is <laughs> is covered with an object. <laughs> so they're, you know, not wearing masks on the court where they're all like bumping into each other and breathing. And if they have to talk, they have to hear each other, you know, in the huddle, they can pull their mask down or whatever the coach. But then when they're sitting on the sidelines far away from each other, uh, then, then they put their masks back on after they've all been tested and they're not, they're all negative. They're, you know, the, I mean, there's literally no logic in any, it's not about logic. It's about symbolism. It's all symbolism. So I was thinking about this morning, this morning, because I caught a little bit of um, this show by a guy named David Garnoski called A Neighbor's Choice. It's kind of like a radio show. And he just briefly was mentioning uh, an article, I think by Jacob Hornberger, talking about why why is it that why is it that sort of the I don't know mainstream establishment, the corporate media, corporate social media, um, all the respectable people in society, what is it that they hate so deeply about Trump? Certainly, people on the political left, and and why is it that uh, libertarians? Um, who just don't like big government, government meddling, they don't have the same passionate hatred towards Trump. If you just look at sort of the substance of policies and what government has done under Trump, this wouldn't make any sense. This was actually about substance. It wouldn't make any sense at all because Trump's policies are damn near indistinguishable from any other president, Republican or Democrat. I mean, really almost completely indistinguishable. Yeah, a couple things here and there, you know, a tax cut here or whatever. Uh, Maybe an attempt to have slightly fewer uh, troops deployed in different places. I don't even know. I don't know the extent to which that's true. I don't don't follow the news closely enough. But I know enough about the political process and what I have seen that there's no policy difference that accounts for this hatred. You know, from a libertarian perspective, uh, Trump is you know, basically as shitty as the rest. Um, you know, you could argue some areas worse, some areas better, whatever. That's details I don't care about. And from a kind of mainstream or liberal perspective, he's just the same, more or less. Again, things on the margins, whatever. What accounts for all the, the hatred is it's the symbolism. Trump himself is a symbol, right? Like he's a symbol more than he's a, I mean, he's a person, at least I've heard. Uh, I don't know if I can't verify that myself, right? Like there's Trump, the person, I suppose, who, who knows what that person is like, right? You never really know with famous people what they're actually like, but Trump, the symbol, you know, the name, the word Trump, the big gold letters, the, you know, whatever ostentatious that's in the battle for symbols was what it's all about. Symbols and narrative control the minds of the public and put parameters on what kind of power moves are possible, what's politically possible, what's culturally possible. In the war over symbols, 
even though his substance is indistinguishable, Trump symbolically is a threat to, I guess, the status quo. You could call it the deep state. You could call it the cathedral. You could call it all kinds of things for a couple reasons. And, and Garnaski mentioned this a little bit. One is um, that he's sort of in his rhetoric. Again, I don't think his actions have followed this at all. Uh, but again, it doesn't matter. The actions don't matter. It's the it's the the symbolism. In his rhetoric, he sort of tears the veil off. He he takes the velvet glove off of the iron fist and reveals it for what it is. The way he talks about the state and the machinations of politics is plain, straightforward language that doesn't obscure nearly as much what's actually happening. And I, I again, I don't know this for sure because I don't follow the political stuff, but I, I've heard... Um, I heard that at one point he was talking about, you know, sending troops into some country in the Middle East or something like that. And he's like, we're going to go get the oil, which is, of course, what always happens in these <laughs> in these manufactured conflicts. But you're not supposed to say that. <laughs> you're not supposed to say that's what you're doing. You're not supposed to say, yeah, we're just thugs with bigger guns and we're going to go steal shit that we want. Right. Like that is what government does. That's all it does. But you're not supposed to say that. You've got to keep the mythos up. You've got to keep the symbols of liberating people and freedom and all these complicated layers, right? Like, that's what, like, a crude mob does, right? The mob is like, hey, pay us or else we're going to bust up your building uh, and break your kneecaps. And uh, you know, you know your relationship to the mob. You pay them, they'll protect you, and uh, they won't beat you up. You don't pay them, they'll beat you up. Now, if mobs have several hundred years to realize that, uh, you know, that takes more work to, to keep up and there's too much competition, they will start saying, hey, we're going to provide education in schools and then slowly indoctrinating your children that, no, 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 they're not a mob. They'll come up with different names. They won't call it protection. They won't come to you with a gun directly, they'll, right? They'll become a state if they may, you know, if they've got enough time, if they're savvy. States don't, they don't want you to know what's actually happening. It all has to be fake. It all has to be covered in symbols that make you think it's something sacred. You have to abstract away from the actions of individual human beings whose job is to literally murder you if you don't give them money to do whatever the hell they want. That's all the state does. But you must abstract away from that and create symbols and all this stuff. And somebody like Trump, he he's bad at that. He's bad at maintaining the sacred veneer of the symbols of state. He makes it look like what it is. You know? Hey, we're we're the toughest guys on the block and we're going to go beat up the other guys, right? (laughs) You can't talk like that. And the other way in which his symbolism is a threat is, and I thought this was a really interesting point Garnoski made, is that he's not a part of the victimhood culture. Because part of the symbolism, again, is you can't let people know that you're just a more powerful, more successful person and you're going to tell them what to do because you can, right? That's... That's ugly and hideous, and it doesn't last as long. Power power that's raw and naked power is power that can't do as much. It's more constrained. It can't go as far. It faces more threats because people have no illusions about what's going on, and they'll know, okay, now you're taking too much. Now the bully is, is asking too much, uh, wants too much lunch money. We're going to gang up against him, right? But if you can maintain this sacred aura and all these symbols of, you know, the the wonder and beauty of everything. No, 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 I'm really doing this for your good. Then you can be a lot more nefarious. And that's what the state always is is striving for. So the symbolism of victimhood is a big part of this. 
So if you are raised in a typical sort of mainstream slash leftist paradigm, you learn that the means to power is through victimhood. You either must present as a victim yourself or present as someone who is only ever motivated by helping victims. You must speak the language of victimhood. Everything must be filtered through that. You know, uh, you must be, think about all the billionaires, all the powerful, wealthy people. They, they all largely really, really don't like Trump. Um, I think because he's the kind of wealthy person that they don't, they don't want anyone to see their wealth the way that Trump shows off his wealth, you know, with like all of his ostentatious stuff. They want to be like, oh, I just, oh, you know, me, I'm, a, I've been lucky, I'm privileged, but I just, I really, I really just want to help everybody else. Victims, victims. It's all, all I'm thinking about is victims. We're all thinking about victims. We either are victims or we're sad about victims all day long. And I'm not saying it's, it's bad to be concerned with people with difficult circumstances, but the, the victimhood trap, uh, the obsession with that, it's, it's all a way to cover up raw naked power because you don't want people to see, hey, I'm doing better than you. And I have a command of more resources than you, and I'm a political manipulator, so I'm going to control you with power and violence. No, 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 no. Oh, i just the victims. I'm so sad, right? Trump doesn't speak that way. He talks about like, I'm a winner, you know? I'm a winner. I only work with winners, you know? America's the greatest with winners, right? And, and whatever you think of the substance there, I don't really think there is much substance there. And whatever the actions are, I think the actions, again, are no different than the rest. The threat to the symbolism is immense because it's plain speak. It reveals the, the relationships that are actually at play. It's very straightforward. It's schoolyard bully stuff. I'm bigger than you and my dad has more influence. Give me your lunch money, right? Instead of the, uh, <laughs> the teacher who, <laughs> who's really the bully in the classroom and is a social good, and oh, I'm, woe is me, I hardly make any money, but I'm here for the, I'm a martyr, and I love the children. No, of course you may not go to the bathroom without my permission, slave, right? <laughs> like, you have to have this veneer. And I, I got to thinking about all this, with all this stuff at the, the Capitol. And again, I don't, I don't know what the hell is going on. I don't follow the news, and I don't believe any shit that I see <laughs> come out on social media, because there's so much fake stuff manufactured by all kinds of people for God knows what reasons. But I saw some, some pretty funny and, and telling, uh, like a, a short clip of this guy with like a buffalo head and face paint on with no shirt walking, walking into like the Senate chamber or something. And there's some security guard and the guards like, Hey, uh, could you, could you leave? Like, this is kind of like the most sacredest place. <laughs> and I thought that was so funny. It's, it can never just be, yeah, this is some place we stole a bunch of tax money and built this, you know, built this place. This is where we just come and say yes or no. We vote on bills here. It's a workplace for, you know, government looters. No, 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 no. It's a sacred place. And that's the whole thing with this Capitol protest. It's all about symbols. It's not a, like, like, oh my gosh, this is a threat to democracy and a blah, blah, blah. Like democracy is full of bullshit anyway. Um, and I don't, I don't see this as any, <laughs> as any aberration, but it's not the substance of like, oh, it's a, oh no, this is a threat, insurrection, whatever, whatever the hell. It's not the substance. Like what what's going to happen? As far as I know, it's just like a bunch of unarmed, a bunch of unarmed 
protesters uh, kind of milling around and doing vandalism and like taking selfies and, you know, breaking, breaking windows and, you know, just generally being stupid. What, what are they going to do? What's the actual substantive threat? Are they going, is that, is that mob of a few thousand unarmed people with, you know, fucking Buffalo hats on, uh, (laughs) are they going to destroy the U S army? Are they going to overthrow uh, the military, right? If a, if a F-22 flies over, and are, are they going to shoot it down, like throw rocks at it, right? In substantive terms, sort of in raw, actual physical power terms, there's no threat whatsoever. None whatsoever. I don't think anyone would contend that. The, all this talk, though, about the threat, the insurrection, it's all because it's symbol. It's all symbolism. You can't strip off the veneer of sacredness and just show like a dude with no shirt wandering around telling jokes inside this chamber that's supposed to be sacred. It's the Holy of Holies, right? It's all this phony symbolism stuff. You can't sell the podium on eBay. This is not just an object. It's not just a piece of furniture. It's a sacred item, right? It's a sacred relic. And that stripping off of the veneer of just like, yeah, it's just a bunch of freaking rabble. Uh, They can walk in there just like you can walk in there. That's a major threat because government maintains its power through symbols. When people see what it is, they don't let it get away with as much. They'll let it get away with some things. Okay, you have big guns and you'll kill me if I don't give you money. Fine, I'll give you money. Up to a point, right? Uh, But even the people that carry out those orders, you know, the tax collectors, the military, the police that enforce this stuff, they above all must be under the spell of the symbols and the sacred idea. Otherwise, they wouldn't do it. Who wants to be that jerk, right? Like, like I love the I love the the notion in the the New Testament, the Bible, where the, you know the the Israelites are under Roman rule, and uh, the Romans would utilize you know people that, that that they had subjected to be sort of bureaucrats and tax collectors and carry out some of their stuff, and they you know hey go collect taxes and then you you make your own income by taking some off the top, and these guys were like hated, reviled, right? Because they were like the turncoats, and everybody knew what they were doing. You're just a puppet following this Roman empire, you know, too cowardly to, to resist and say, sure, I'll get a cut of the action. I'll go collect taxes from my fellow man. And, uh, you know, and they were hated and reviled, which I think is, I think is great. Right. But if it's, if it's not seen as simply theft, which taxation is, uh, by the way, that's logically inescapable. Uh, if it's seen as some sacred thing and it's, it's we, the state is this abstraction. It's this great thing that we pool all of our collective energies into, and it does all these magical things. And it's, you know, the sacred body, these people are representatives of the people. They are, they are our priests who mediate between the God of state and the people. And you got all this bullshit around it. That's the only way you can do the horrendous, absolutely evil evil things that the state does 24-7. You have to maintain the sacred symbols at all costs. Those are far more important, even than the lives of any politician. If a politician, or even even if all of them, if all of Congress, you know, died in an earthquake or something that swallowed up the Capitol, that would not by itself cause some threat to the state itself. 
the symbols being torn down, the symbols being revealed, that the veil being removed and the state being revealed for what it is, that's a threat to the state's power. Not the people who are in position. As long as those people continue to prop up those symbols and pretend that this, those things really are sacred, right? The, think about the, like, the most profane, base, cowardly institution on earth, Congress. Some security guard calls it the most sacredest place, man. <laughs> this is like the, the like sacredest place. <laughs> like, think about how stupid that is. A bunch of nincompoops go there and vote on shit they've never read before that is basically just orders telling other people they've never met before who are sucking up government pensions while their souls are getting sucked up to tell other people what to do and mess up their lives. There is nothing sacred about that. That's the most shameful thing you could ever do. It's absurd. But as long as it's believed to be sacred, it can continue. So it's truly a battle of symbols. And everybody's so far removed from direct experience. Like if you follow politics, politics has nothing to do with your daily life. Almost ever, unless you're on like your local HOA board in your neighborhood and there's politics there. That may have to do with your daily life, you know, whether or not you can paint your mailbox pink. The politics that people follow, the stuff they follow in the news has nothing to do with their daily lives. It's totally removed, and they have no ability to verify the truth of anything, to know what's going on. There's way too many laws and regulations and government doing things all over the place, both in secret and in public. No one can keep a handle on it. The only thing you can keep up with is the symbols and the mythical narrative. So that's what the battle's about. That's all it's about. It's all symbolic victories. It's all narrative victories. Keep the narrative in your favor, and you can do whatever you want in the substantive world. You can get away with almost anything in the actual world of substance and, and, and real, real material interactions if you've got people believing the right symbolic, mythical narrative. And that's the level everything's operating at. You know, that's, again, that's all the COVID stuff. It's just all symbolic battle. And that's the age that we're in. I have Vin Armani, who's a really, really interesting guy. Um, uh, I've, I've followed him for quite a while on, on Twitter and love his um, you know, various podcast interviews. He, he talks all about, like, we're in that he calls it the dim age, an age of magic and superstition. Like, or, or maybe it's a, a cyclical return to a magical superstitious age and, you know, the, like we've had in the past or something like that. But I think he's 100% correct. There is no there's basically no point in arguing things on substance and facts at this point because it's all, it's all myth. It's all mythological warfare that's happening. It's all symbolic. You know, um, you can look at, you can try to pull out data and you see people on Twitter and I almost feel bad for them. <laughs> like, look, look at the data. Like making people prisoners in their own homes is absolutely horrible for everyone's health. This is not hard to discover data wise. You know, hey, look, uh, how is it possible that zero people have the flu anymore all of a sudden? Uh, but the same number of total all-cause mortality is, is we're pretty much at the same place. So, like, why? how is this possibly a pandemic? It doesn't matter. You can't argue on those grounds. Those are too literal. And no one can really verify that for themselves. They're just trusting data and data. And the data itself has just become symbolic. It's just a tool to wield against the people with alternative narratives. All that matters is 
a mythos, a symbolism that will let people tolerate and justify the most horrific human rights abuses on earth. You either create that mythos, which is the one that's sort of the dominant one, or you oppose that mythos with your own, with a mythos of individual liberty and, you know, respect for human dignity and self-reliance and autonomy and, you know, markets and cooperation um, instead of, you know, nationalism and factionalism. Those are the, those are the, that's the, that's the battle. It's just a battle of symbols. It really is. So I, I think that's really interesting because I've had a hard time because I don't follow politics. I had a hard time understanding why so many people that I knew who are very, very big fans of individual liberty were not more bothered by Donald Trump because there's nothing libertarian about his policies. And I think I was being too literal. And I was also baffled by how is it that sort of the mainstream is so bothered by Donald Trump because he's not a substantive threat to them. He's not, he didn't lay off government workers and close down schools. He didn't, yeah, like, he didn't do anything substantial to the to those those people, those institutional, you know, members of the cathedral or whatever you want to call it, to harm them. But I think it took me until 2020 to really get knocked into my head. And, and Vin Armani has actually been really good at sort of pointing this out. Uh, that this is a symbolic battle. To, to use biblical terminology, the battle is not against flesh and blood, against powers, principalities. You could call those against symbols, narratives, and myths. It really is. And it's really hard to not like be like, oh my gosh, to get so, you know, whatever you want to call it, red-pilled, uh, using it in its original meaning from the movie The Matrix, where you're like, everything's fake. <laughs> Maybe we're in a simulated reality. It's all a program, right? And whether it is or isn't, it's kind of semantic. What is undeniable is that the things that have the power to shape your mood and that have the power to put constraints on what is possible in the material world for you to do or for others to do to you, especially for the political class to do to you. Those binding constraints, you could call them the, you know, the, 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 uh, the borders of the Overton window. Those are created by myth and symbolism. This is where Orwell was so much more prescient than I ever thought when I first read 1984. And I've read it a couple times through the years. And I always thought it was a great book, but it, it seemed like, uh, you know, it was an object lesson using very extreme kind of silly ideas to kind of get, a, get across something that happens in a much more subtle way in the real world with this double think and new speak and whatever. Oh my gosh, no, that was literally exactly on point. The whole idea, the brilliant idea that, you know, we're at war with Eurasia. We've always been at war with Eurasia. And then, you know, next week, policy change. We're at war with East Asia. We've always been at war with East Asia. The idea that you literally rewrite the past based on the power of the present. And again, everybody says, you know, history is written by the victors and whatever. We all kind of know this, but we all sort of assume it's like somewhat limited in scope, right? It's not like you can literally change everything about the past. No, you actually can. <laughs> actually can. It's insane. In fact, I saw Vin Armani tweeting something like, you know, who, he who controls the, the, the future determines the past or something like that. And he's like showing some tweet where Harvard students are calling for uh, anyone that had association with Trump to have their Harvard degree revoked. And that's a very interesting thing. You think the whole concept of like a prestigious degree is to go, to go purchase this, jump through all these hoops and things to purchase this signal 
that says, whatever else is said about me, I am now a Harvard man or a Harvard woman, and I carry the weight of this institution's reputation with me, and I have put in all this work and whatever, you know, even though it's all bullshit work, to obtain this signal, which is a signal I don't particularly care about, but many people do. It says something about me, and now this is my investment in my reputation, and now I have this piece of reputational, you know, capital, this artifact that says I'm a Harvard man. No, you can actually, that, you can't, you can't do that. You can't invest in something like that. You can't say, look at my past. It tells a story about me because whoever's in power in the future culturally, and I don't know if this is actually going to happen, but it's interesting that it's even brought up. Um, especially given that like, you know, there's been so many people throughout history who have done horrendous things and had college degrees. And I don't think I've ever seen a movement like this before. Maybe it's happened, but just for somebody who works for a political party, a political party, you don't like, but again, it's not just that you don't like them. It's that, that they are ripping the veil off. They're harming the signal. But the fact that whoever maintains narrative control in the present can literally redefine your past and can actually say you didn't have a past you have no past. You've been sort of depersoned. Nothing you did previous to this actually counts. Uh, we'll take it all away from you, right? Like, that's a weird thing. Of course, you can't take away the things you experienced at Harvard, but that's not why people go to Harvard. If they just wanted the experience, they wouldn't register for classes. They would just go move there and hang out. They wanted to buy the symbol, the degree. And that symbol can be retroactively revoked, theoretically. Again, I don't know if this has happened. But it's a very interesting concept. It's, it's we're at war with Eurasia. We've always been at war with Eurasia. It's not enough to say new policy from now on, this is the case. From now on, people at Harvard won't get degrees for this. To really control the symbols, the narrative, you must convince everyone that it has always been this way. <laughs> and that what was true yesterday, of course, you're a fool to think that that's true, right? Like, like the... Like YouTube saying, we're going to pull down any videos that don't toe the line of whatever the CDC says about, you know, coronavirus safety measures. Well, the CDC, or maybe it was the WHO, I can't remember anymore, these incompetent evil bureaucracies, says something like, uh, you know, masks have no effectiveness. Okay, so if any video comes out saying a mask is effective, it will be pulled by YouTube. Well, then like a week later, uh, you know, the CDC changes its tune. You have to wear a mask, they're effective. Oh, okay. Well, now anybody that says masks aren't effective uh, will have their videos pulled. And we have to pretend as if this makes sense. We have to pretend as if it has always been. We have to rewrite the past. We have to go backwards in time. And literally in the case of YouTube and these content creators, we go backwards in time and pull old videos because at the time they were made, those videos absolutely towed the line. But now the symbols have changed. Now the symbol of the mask is seen as a, a more important symbol for um, evil people to maintain power, <laughs> whether consciously or not, whether it's a conspiracy or an accident. So now we got to go back in the past and redefine what you did then. At the time you did it, it was not uh, a violation of policy. But now we're going to go back and say that it was. We're going to redefine past actions. The past is not in the past. It's living now. It's all contained in the present moment. <laughs> it's all contained in whoever has power over the symbols of the day. Very, very interesting times. Anyway, all this stuff about symbolism, I've been, I've been watching some videos by a guy named Jonathan Pigot that uh, TK Coleman turned me on to. And um, I saw somebody tag him in a, in a tweet or tag both of us in a tweet, whatever. So uh, I'm going to see if maybe I can get an interview with him. 
Um, I'm really, I'm really interested. He's, he does a lot of stuff with symbolism and culture and things. And I would love to talk more about his take, a breakdown of kind of the specific symbols around, let's say, coronavirus policies or some of these current events. Very, very interesting times. Uh, I don't think it's a time to despair at all. I think it's a very enlightening moment to realize it's like Neo realizing, you know, like, oh, it's all a matrix. Therefore, I can dodge bullets, right? Or I won't have to dodge bullets, whatever it is. It's like, oh, it's all symbols and myth. Now I know how to navigate. Now I know how to navigate this world. Now I understand when people are yelling about this, they're not really yelling about this. Why would I get angry about claims that are factually, obviously incorrect? You know, appeals to science that are literally the height of stupidity, like, or maybe the depths of stupidity. Uh, why would I get mad about that? Because that's not what's actually being discussed. That's not what these people are actually doing. The, the literalists are going to be lost. If you're a literalist right now, you're going to be totally in the dark all the time. It's all symbols, man. People need certain symbolic narratives and myths to be true in order for them to, they believe, to obtain what it is that they want. And so they will search for whatever they can find to maintain those. And the only tools against symbols that lead to oppression, that make way for oppression, are symbols that lead to freedom and make way for freedom.